everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning, we continue with week three of our Prove It series where we've been going through the book of 1 John. Now, Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he would uh, name himself, is the author of both the Gospel of John, which is uh, one of the four biographies or eyewitness accounts of Jesus, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are referred to as epistles, which were basically uh, essentially a letter or an address written to the church at large, to a specific church, or all of the above. Now, in the specific case of 1st John, there's this backdrop of a sect of people who had begun to break off from this early community of believers or those who were following the way. Jesus referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And they begin to give themselves to an early form or kind of an uh, infantile state of what would become Gnosticism. It was a belief that salvation or kind of spiritual ascension came not through Jesus, not through the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross, but actually through acquiring knowledge or knowledge of the divine light in all of us. There was this uh, inherent sense along with this uh, pre-Gnosticism belief that there was a great sense of duality in which one's spiritual journey was completely separate from the practical behaviors and practices of their lives. And as a result of this schism taking place, some had already left the church. Some had already broken off. And as you can imagine, when you have something at, near the beginning and, and having some clashes of opinions, as will happen among humans, it's not just a church thing, it's a people thing, you, there was a lot of concerns and a lot of questions. And so John was writing in 1 John as a call to fortify the word of truth. He was wanting to remind the early church of their foundations, of the orthodox base level essentials of the faith. In a time where there was a shaking and a quaking taking place within this community, he wanted to remind them on Christ the solid rock I stand. No other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. He's helping them to have a firm foundation. Now in the beginning of 1 John, we see that John emphasizes this point very strongly. In the first few verses, he emphasizes that Jesus is the center of it all. Do you hear me this morning? Y'all with me? Jesus is the center of it all. It's not just a song. It's a principle. We have to be anchored in this revelation. You cannot. There is no Christianity without Christ. And he's not just a great supporting character to your hero story. I know that this is like, it sounds good and you would agree to it, but the way we often live our lives is that we are the hero of our story. Our story revolves around us. The world revolves around us. Truth revolves around us. And John is communicating here in these first few verses in 1 John chapter 1, uh, no, it's actually all about Jesus. He sets the tone. 
In the second week of the series, we went a little bit further, not just to say that in Jesus is our joy made complete, but also John was reminding them that Jesus proclaimed that God is light. God had revealed himself historically throughout the, uh, throughout the scripture, throughout history as light. He presented himself to Moses as a burning bush. He presented himself as he was leading the people out of captivity in Egypt as a pillar of fire. He would come down and reveal himself as fire in the temple. God was declaring, he was declaring that in the, in the age of being enlightened, in the age of being awakened to your truth, there is only one who is true. There's only one who sets the standard. There is only one who is perfect and presents perfect and perfection in all its ways, and that is not you. Not only is it not you, but it's nobody, because all have sinned. And in order for us to walk in the light, we must confess our sin and receive the cleansing that comes from Jesus. And so John, in the first chapter of the book of 1 John, is laying out, it's all about Jesus. It requires that we repent of our sin, acknowledge God for who he is. And now what he's going to hit on that we're going to unpack here in week three in chapter two, verse three through six, is that it's not enough to have a mental assent or acknowledgement of this Jesus. It's not enough to have a spiritual awareness of Yahweh, of God, of the one true living God. If you know him, you must obey him. This series is called Prove It. Our prove it claim would be we claim to know God, but can we prove it? There's a bit of a litmus test, a test that is presented here by the Apostle John. So let's turn to the text today. It's in 1 John chapter 2. It'll be up on the screens if you don't have it with you. We're going to actually start in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Again, John beating around the bush. But whoever keeps this, his word, in him truly is the love, I'm sorry, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. I'm going to read that verse 5 again. But whoever keeps his word in him truly is the love of God perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true and that you have given us your word. Lord, I do thank you that you reveal ourselves and you remove the blinders from our eyes. You penetrate through all of our idols in our minds and the battlefield that is in our mind, and yet you have not just called us to a way of thinking, you have called us to a way of being, to holistically be your children in thought, in speech, and in action. Help me today, Lord, to communicate your word. May your word penetrate our hearts that we would not just be those who ponder you, but those who practice your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you who don't know, again, 
I am a father, and, and as I celebrate Father's Day, um, it, is, uh, it is a day that I celebrate and, and, I, and I love. I, I love my kids, and I know uh, I, I will give this caveat as we talk and we discuss Father God and we discuss these concepts. I understand that on a day like this, many of us societally and most of us, all of us in here at one point had someone who fathered us, and yet... All of our relationships with Father can be complicated. And because of that nature, when we think of a heavenly Father, we think of him with the, the filter of what we've experienced in the earthly realm. Some of it could be a great thing. Some of it could be a not-so-great thing. And even the most well-intentioned Father was imperfect. And so all of us are going to have, at times, things that we saw modeled for us in humanity that are not always consistent with the divine Father himself. And yet, God has chosen to reveal himself in this way, and I want to unpack some of that. This is not necessarily a Father's Day message, but it's impossible to truly understand the weight of this without understanding the God-given authority that he has established in the earth, that he put fathers in place to demonstrate himself to us in a practical way. Now, as I love being a father, and I know that there are many of you in here that do love being a father, being a father is hard as a lot of stuff. It's not easy. I love it, but it's hard. Anything that is worth it is work. Anything that is worth it is work. And some of us made our parents work a little bit harder than others. Now, I've got... Uh, six beautiful babies, one that is in heaven, Aria Joy. Some of you know that story. I've got four boys here on earth and a baby girl, Ella Rose, who is here. My boys, Isaiah, Aaron, Judah, and Johnny are all amazing. They're all unique. They all have different personalities. They all have different strengths, different weaknesses, things that we are working with. But there is one son in particular who God, I believe, bestowed to me so that I could empathize with what I put my parents through. He is a passionate son of, of vibrance and energy and intensity, and his name is Johnny. And when I think about parenting, one of the biggest challenges and one of the most essential, I believe, roles that we have in parenting is to teach our children the principle of obedience. And I know when it comes to obedience, it, at times it can kind of be a complicated dynamic because it does encapsulate a lot of different concepts even within that one singular concept. There's trust, issues of trust and pride and fear and surrender and love and vulnerability and humility and all of those things. And because of what it requires and because we live in a broken and a fallen world where people would like to manipulate it to control and hurt people and harm people, sometimes when we think of obedience, it's like, this is an uncomfortable thing. And as a child, you particularly don't like it because whether you are a little six-year-old or five-year-old child or you are a grown A adult or you think you are, None of us like somebody telling us what to do. So a lot of times when we hear the concept of obedience, we just feel it as this constricting, controlling thing that is just trying to squelch our excitement and keep us from doing fun things when the reality of it is, is that truly 
God teaching us and giving us parameters and teaching us to obey his word is really for our protection and our freedom. And so when I think of Johnny as he is discovering the world and right now as we're working on his heart and he's growing in Christ, I used to say that because he hadn't given his life to the Lord yet, he was my, my only wretched son. Um, but he's given his life to the Lord now. So he is redeemed to the Lord. He's growing in his faith. Uh, but yet he's still dying to self. And there would be times, you know, one of the most intriguing times is bedtime. And Johnny likes to get really creative. And I can see just still like the old man of his past trying to creep out in different ways. And so I'll say, hey, Johnny, you know, it's bedtime. We have little phrases just to help them memorize it. And so when it's time, when I say get ready for bed, they know what it means. Now, now it, it was it used to be put on your pull-up, put on your pajamas, brush your teeth. So we say pull up pajamas and brush your teeth. Pull up pajamas and brush your teeth. And that was the mantra. And then it was now get your butt in the bed. So that was a simple mantra. So he'd get in the bed, but then he decided he was going to be really creative about how he got in his bed. So sometimes he decided I'm going to get mostly in the bed. And so he would put his upper body and his head in the bed and his feet on the ground. Or if I was like, Johnny, get in the bed for real. He'd go, okay. And then he'd put his legs and his waist in the bed and hang off like this. And then I'd turn around and he'd get up and we'd go through this and, and I would correct him. And I'd say, you know, got to the point, I'd say, Johnny, listen, it's time to get in the bed. If you get out of the bed, you're going to get switches. Now, Johnny, what's going to happen if you get out of the bed? I'm going to get switches. Okay. I love you, Johnny. Good night. Then he gets out of the bed. Johnny, what did daddy say? What did daddy tell you to do? You told me to get in the bed. What did daddy say was going to happen if you didn't get in the bed? I was going to get switches. So why did you disobey daddy? Because I like doing it. Ooh, Jesus. Started praying in the Holy Ghost, sprinkled some water on him. I don't know if it was holy. It was just tap water, city water, but something. Now, that's not how he is all the time. You know, he, he, he had a moment of this. But if we're really honest, we know we operate in that, right? I remember being, I, I have a flashback to when I was a little boy and talking to my mom, and she was giving me a spanking again because I, you know, I was as hard-headed, if not more so, than Johnny I remember looking at my mom one time saying, Mom, is there ever going to be a day when I don't get spankings? And she said, is there ever going to be a day when you just obey me? And I just looked at her and was like, dang. We don't like to obey. We want our way. We want to do things the way we want to do things. And yet... What it really comes down to is us acknowledging that we are not God. Obedience is really an act of submission. And scripturally, we see this played out really as an act of worship. So when you worship something, you are saying, I acknowledge that you are greater than I, and so I submit to your authority. And what John is communicating here in the second chapter of 1 John is the importance that if you truly say you know God, 
And the concept of no here was not like, hey, I know about a guy down the road or I heard about this new restaurant down the street. It's this sense of walking in this faith, knowing God, having relationship, following the way. If you say that you know him, then your life should reflect him. Then your actions should actually be in alignment with him. It says in verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. There's a song uh, made, you know, it was first introduced way back in the day by a group called the Teddy Bears. Uh, it was later on sung by Dolly Parton and the Shirelles, and even I think Amy Winehouse had a version of it. But it said, to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him, and I do. This declaration that to know him is to love him. And when I see verses 3 and particularly even verses 4, this sense is if you truly know him and you truly love him, it says in God's word in John 14, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. We, we will do what he says to do. Now, again, we fall prey to similar to what the early, this early sect that had broken off from the church had done is that we can tend to compartmentalize Christianity and our faith to just this spiritual or mental ascent. We acknowledge him. We believe in God. The scripture also says even the demons believe in him. But the thing that the demons do that we don't do is the demons believe in him and they actually shudder in fear. They actually have more respect and awe than we often do. And so we believe and I mentally know that this would be right. But just like them, we have this duality where we separate. But that doesn't really need to affect the way that I'm living. Or even if we think it maybe should, we just kind of don't apply it. We don't actually demonstrate it. Now, one concept when we say to know him is to love him, but I would say to know him is to love him, and to love him is to obey him. Now, a lot of people will say, I don't have to do anything to earn the love of God, and I would say you're absolutely right. The scripture tells us, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ endured the cross. Isn't that good news? It's good news. You didn't have to get cleaned up to earn his love and affection for you. You can actually come to God with all of your mess and all of your junk and all of your garbage. And actually, God doesn't just love the people that come to him. He loves the people that woke up this morning and cursed him from the moment they woke up. Those that this morning woke up with evil and maniacal intentions... He still loves them. It's amazing. Yet this isn't about God's love for us. This isn't a test about does he love us? He's already demonstrated that. What it's saying is what does it look like for the people who love him? How do we demonstrate our love for him? In verse 5 it says, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. The love of God here is referring to our love for God. In other words, 
of God represents the objective. It's not about his love for us. It's saying that our love for him and the way we walk in it and the way we grow in it is actually perfected as we look at his word and do what he says. So when people often talk about or make accusations, what's, what's twisted, and this is why we have to be wise and not ignorant to the schemes of the enemy, is this very thing, is that the enemy does not want you to think that love is what God says love is. He doesn't want you to think that. He wants you to think that love has everything to do with your emotions and whatever you want it to be. Whatever you want it to be. What did we talk about last week is that many times if we don't like sin, we just, which is uh, sin means missing the mark. If we constantly find ourselves missing the mark, either we change and become who we are called to be so that we can hit that mark, or we just say, man, I'm just going to make my own mark. And we just shoot an arrow in the wall. We take a Sharpie and draw a target around it and be like, boom, I got it. We do the same thing with love. We want love to be whatever we want to be. And the enemy takes concept, that concept that Jesus clearly communicates time and time again what love is, who love is. John makes these very clear communications. There's three particular declarations that John makes of God. He says, God is light, God is love, God is spirit. He is communicating. Love is not something you get to make up. It's him. And if we want to walk in it, we begin by doing what he says. Y'all yes. with me this morning? Yes. Amen. I, I want to go a little bit deeper in it because I really want to make sure that you guys understand this. What that means is sometimes if what God says is love is contrary to the mass communication of the world, That's right. That's right. you can actually be walking in the love of God and everybody else will call you a hater. That's right. Say it. It's true. You can be walking in the love of God, and because it makes people feel uncomfortable, they will yell at you, cuss at you, right. reject you, unfollow you. <laughs> yeah. How sad is the culture when it's like people will be like, oh my gosh, they unfollowed me. <gasps> tell you to unfollow them and then try to tell you what love is. Can I tell you something? It really doesn't even matter what I think love is. People say, what do you think about this? You know, um, my opinion, if I'm in Christ, and me knowing and loving Christ is walking in obedience to his word and keeping his word, my opinion doesn't really matter much. What this says matters. It, I mean, th this is really what it comes down to. is like you say you know God, but when you are faced with opposition or a challenge or when your flesh comes and rubs against this word is your default to just think through your own way or your old way of doing things to cover yourself up or to navigate? Or is it to actually take the sword of the word and say, we got to do some operation? There's times where this word, it cuts us and it hurts 
Because the closer we get to God, the more we walk with him. That's even that term. We talked about that last week. The concept of walking is not just a momentary decision at the altar or just a mental ascent. It's saying like daily, I'm walking with him. And the more I walk with him, the more I get to know him. The more I get to know him, the more I want to be like him. And the more I walk and keep in this walk, I realize, man, that area in my life is not like you. So if I want to keep walking with you, would you cut this off of me? Because I don't want to walk in this racism anymore. I know my daddy did it, my granddaddy did it, and I was around it so much that I just didn't even notice it. But now, in light of your goodness and your word and your truth, I realize I can't keep walking in this. Can you cut it, Jesus? And he gives us his word to shape us and chisel us to make us more like him. Walking in obedience is not about acquiring the love of God. It is about confirming our love for God in obedience to his word. I said to to know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. I want to say this. Obeying him perfects us and praises him. So I just talked about how it perfects our love, but It says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, I am encouraged by this, and I I think where we get overwhelmed at times is what many who who John was speaking to were coming out of the uh, Judaism. They were coming out of the Jewish faith, and particularly coming out of a culture where your righteousness was based on your works. And Jesus came to the scene because the reality was no one can perfectly fulfill the law. No one can perfectly do everything right. And what we tend to do is go, man, we can't possibly obey him perfectly, so why even try? Why why even put forth that much effort? Last week, we talked about the reality that All have sinned, and each and every one of us, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, walking with you will be every day faced with the reality of your own brokenness. And so there is this sense that John gives when he's speaking is helping us understand, hey, all of us have issues and things that we're working out, and yet we're not called to just surrender to our brokenness. We're not called to just throw in the towel. He actually is exhorting us to walk in obedience because it's our obedience that not just perfects our love, but it actually helps other people know who this God is. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. And yet, the Spirit of God is here on the earth being made manifest through flesh and blood of his Son's of the sons and daughters of God. So what does that mean? The way people on this earth are going to get to know him, one of those big ways is being revealed in your life. It's in your life. Gosh, that's hard, pastor. That's okay. Do you know obedience costs something? If you were looking for a really cheap spiritual option on a Sunday morning, 
to make you feel good about yourself, to get a cute little inspirational word. I know this like might sound crazy, but like there's a podcast for that. There's a church for that. There's a TED Talk for that. But if you truly want to interact and walk with the creator of the universe who is making all things new and all things new and by him and through him is the only way that we have and the world has hope, then it calls us to not just acknowledge him as a savior but to follow him as Lord. Now the good news is even in the midst of our mistakes and our imperfection, our ability or our capacity or our power to obey him is not based on us. See, before verse 3, there's verse 2. And it says, he, being Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. We are to seek to live in perfection and to live a perfect life. And even though we may not be able to, well, I'll just say this. We can't accomplish it in our own strength. But we have an advocate in Christ who demonstrated for us what it looked like. Jesus would tell the disciples when they would ask about the Father, he said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Because I don't do anything or say anything that he hasn't said. If you want to know him, you can look at my life and you can follow me. A call to obedience is not just making up the rules. It's saying, God, what does it look like? He says, look at my son. Look at my son. Walk in his power. Surrender from your old way of thinking. Surrender from the role of Lord of your life. There's an old show back in the day called Who's the Boss? It's not Tony Danza. It's not Bruce Springsteen. It's God. It's God. And he's made cleansing and redemption available through the obedience of his son so that through him if we will daily pursue him do you know just like a child you don't learn everything in one day this walk of faith it is a walk that we have to daily and continually grow in like I said last week, you should not, if, if you constantly find yourself, man, it's like you're at the beginning of your journey. You feel like, man, I just don't feel like I know anything. I'm relearning everything. That is okay. And, and just keep surrendering. Do you know that God is patient? He's kind. And yet, we got to keep walking. We want to keep walking. I love this lyric. It's in a hymn that was written by this 20-year-old young woman in Ireland in the midst of a very turbulent time. She wrote this. She was from Dublin. She had grown up during the great uh, hunger. It was a famine that had hit. And 
her world was in the midst of being rocked as many people were leaving Ireland and going to the United States or going to London. There was, there was all kinds of shaking and quaking. And I just think about even the culture that we find ourselves in. And even in the midst of all that was happening around her, her prayer was that God would shape her desires within her. And I think that as we turn away from thinking and processing obedience as this controlling thing into an act of love and desire for God, it will change everything. This song, is, this hymn was called, Lord, I Desire. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Lord, I desire to live as one who bears a blood-bought name, as one who fears but grieving thee and knows no other shame. As one by whom thy walk below should never be forgot. As one who fain would keep apart from all thou lovest not. I want to live as one who knows the fellowship of love. As one whose eyes can pierce beyond the pearl-built gates above. As one who daily speaks with thee and hears thy voice divine. With depth of tenderness declare, beloved, thou art mine. To walk in obedience, it's not about being controlled. It's not about being squelched. It's truly about being a loved one who comes before the one who has loved us first and says, I love you too. To know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. And obeying him perfects us and praises him. It boasts of who he is. It gives an appraisal of his worth and the value that we have placed on him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you so loved us that you gave your only son, that whosoever believed in you would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, that the very first acknowledgement and the act of obedience, the first step and ongoing foundation in this walk of faith is to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. To acknowledge that we've got an issue. We've, we, have, we are separated because of our sin. We are broken because of our sin and we can't solve that and the only way that we could be saved, the only way that we could be restored, the only hope that we have is in Jesus. Not just as a wealthy friend with benefits, but as a king, as a rescuer. And in acknowledging you as king, Lord, it's recognizing that you call the shots from here on out. What you say about forgiveness is what I say about forgiveness. What you say about love is what I say about love. What you say about people of different ethnicities is what I choose to believe about people with other ethnicities. How you define me and define love is how I will walk in love and live in love. So God, I'm asking right now, that you would help us. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the areas today 
today, right now, that you're calling us to surrender to you. Now, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I just want to take a moment, and I want to give you just a moment to honestly ask the Holy Spirit, what is an area? What's that next step of obedience? What is that area that you know that has been contrary to the ways of God that as you submit it to to him today you can demonstrate your love for him just think about it for a moment Father, there's no questioning your love for us. Jesus, you perfectly demonstrated love is sacrifice and obedience by being obedient even unto death on a cross, becoming a curse for us so that we can walk in your blessing and inheritance. Lord, would you give us the grace to surrender these areas that have been presented to you Lord, would you give us the power and the grace to humble ourselves and to acknowledge you as king, to acknowledge you as the Lord, and to prove our love in a very real and sacrificial way. Father, I pray that you would rewrite the definition of what love is in our hearts. God, we've been so brainwashed by social media, by news, by music, by culture, to have such a distorted view of what that is. God, would you help us? Lord, would you give us a, a new and a fresh hunger for your word to pursue it? And if, we're, if, if loving you is obeying your word, Lord, would you help us to truly get in your word and return to it, discovering what it says about the different areas in our lives that we face every single day? Lord, help us to be a people who do not just profess to know you, but practically are walking with you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're here this morning and you know that you have been living far from God and you are ready to take your next step with him, you're like, you know what? I've heard about it. I've talked about it. People have invited me to come. I've been hesitant. But I actually want to take a step of following him. We want to help you do that. And so practically on the bottom of our Connect card, there's a section that says that I want to know more about Jesus. If that's you, what I want to invite you to do is just take a simple step. So come over to City Central after the service. Grab a Connect card if you don't have one already. And just check that box with your information. And we're going to follow up with you this week and help you take that next step in him. This city is desperately in need of a people who know and love God and can help them see what it actually looks like. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to be. Bless you.
Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.